0: And welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna.
1: And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we are discussing Book 6, Chapter 8, The Scouring of the Shire, Exploring Authority in Community. Anna, guess what? (laughs) Uh, what? This is my favorite chapter. (laughs)
0: Well, good. It's about time you had one cuz we know all of them are mine.
1: I, know. I was thinking about that as I was reading it. I'm like, I think this is actually my favorite chapter. I just mm-hmm. enjoy it so much the problems are smaller. We resolve mm-hmm. them with one chapter <laughs> like Right. It's just it's homey. It feels sort of like a fever dream. I mm-hmm. really enjoy it. <laughs> it is a little bit of like a Mad Lib
0: of what Mm -hmm. could have been happening in the Shire while our our friends were away. Mm -hmm. And it was nice because I hadn't read this bit of the book in such a long time that it was a pleasure to kind of uncover all of this problem solving that was ongoing. And I was sharing this with my partner and he was like, wait, there's more?
1: (laughs) It's like, yeah. It keeps
0: going. (laughs) It keeps
1: going. Um, This is the last battle, basically. Were you surprised as to who Sharky was? Like, do you remember maybe either the first time you read it or sometime being mm. surprised? Or did, or did you feel like it was spelled out pretty clearly?
0: I feel like this time I was ready for it, even though mm-hmm. I couldn't quite remember if that were true. But I don't remember. I, I have to imagine that I was surprised the first time I read it because you you just don't expect there to be any like what what's the value here like it's, it's mm-hmm. just so mean spirited right like that it 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 was not something that i think i would have originally concluded as a likely outcome
1: and it it really is just mean spirited i think i remember the first time i read this when it's my maybe frodo or pippin or somebody is saying that you know the tides have changed and there's a king in the west and your master is a beggar in the wilderness and the guy's like oh oh, that's what you think and i was like oh my god he's here Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm saruman has (sighs) arrived right well and i think it's
0: maybe a bit of a it feels insufficient to me that gandalf has relayed that saruman is possible of still some like mean-spirited mischief Mm mm-hmm and I feel like that's a gross mischaracterization yes. of the havoc he has wreaked.
1: Yeah, this is not mischievous. <laughs> yeah, uh, hobbits lose their lives. Like I really feel
0: like that's a bit unfair to be like, ah, just some lighthearted mischief.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. But you got it. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got it. Like, don't. It, it'll be fine. People mm-hmm. are going to die, and they'll be your friends and neighbors. But good luck. Bye. Good luck. You
1: can manage it.
0: <laughs> hmm. I'm so proud of you as he fades into the in fades into the hedge basically. Yeah.
1: Well, I want to I want us to dive in even more to this chapter because again, it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. But before we we get into that, we need to hear what your story is that you have brought for us to discuss authority.
0: All right, friends. Here there are some caveats as we get started here. We know me Mm-hmm. To be a pretty nerdy, I would say even narc-level energy in high school. So the story I'm about to tell you is a very different view of me. And I just don't want us to to think that this is my whole personality.
1: I was I was waiting for a safety monitor story. <laughs> it is not that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the second is that I'm
0: not sure the parents know the extent of this story that's fine they're never gonna get to this part of the podcast (laughs) so dad if you're listening it really wasn't this big of a deal but like i had to make some choices (laughs) okay with that said the year is 2008 it's may and all my high school friends are getting anxious to like graduate and or have the school year end. So this is about the time where there's a lot of video watching that's happening in the in the classrooms. And most of my friends, um, including my boyfriend and his friends, are 18. And this is important, right? Because at our high school, that meant that you could sign yourself out of school. And so they had elected a day where they wanted to go to a a major league baseball game in Milwaukee and wanted to go, we're going to sign themselves out of their last hour of the day so that they could just kind of like hang out. I at the time am 15 or 16. Absolutely cannot sign myself out. Didn't even think to ask the parents that that would be a possibility because I'm pretty sure that they would say no. But everybody, all of the parents knew that we were going to go to this game. It was just a matter of like, If I could get out of school early, then that meant we would be less likely to, like, run into after-school traffic or run into end-of-the-workday traffic as we got into into Milwaukee. And wouldn't you know it, the day comes, I'm getting ready, I'm getting excited, you know, I have all these thoughts. And it turns out my, my seventh hour, if I remember correctly, was orchestra. And we had a sub. Perfect. And who has less authority in a high schooler's (laughs) mind (laughs) than a substitute teacher in a kind of niche class like orchestra? Mm -hmm. I could tell you this sub's name. He has since passed. A very um, sweet man, but very um, incapable of inspiring any level of respect from teenagers. And he was one of the subs that had a reputation um if you had him you were doing like nothing in class regardless of the subject matter Mm -hmm. so this this has to be particularly true right in orchestra so we we realize oh there's gonna be a sub and we are in the um large auditorium this is important because it's it's not as easy to count how many kids are in the large auditorium when they're all dispersed around and they're all doing their homework anyway, and then they're going to leave at the end of the day to not go to another class, but to go home. And I saw a window. I saw an opportunity. (laughs) So because we weren't doing anything, the first thing that happened was attendance. And then we were going to, like I said, do homework. So I sat in the class through attendance. And then I left out the side door after attendance was taken, cut the rest of 7th hour, and drove to Milwaukee with my friends to go to this baseball game. (laughs) Which, like, is a problem because I was 16, so technically I was truant. Um, It's fine. It's fine. It truly would not have mattered had I stayed there. But this story came to me as I thought about authority because i would not have pulled this in any other situation but knowing this sub and knowing that they really didn't care and were phoning it in anyway i was like oh i'll just do the thing that they're going to do which is the attendance i won't be marked absent and then the likelihood that this man will <laughs> count the kids as they leave when the bell rings is zero <laughs> and that's my story i i respect it
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time I ever
0: cut class. And I was never 18 in high school, so I truly never had an opportunity to sign myself out either. So this was like the one time that this happened.
1: And that's, I think, that's the parents' fault. And this is um, <laughs> this is retribution for having put us in a high school where we would never be 18. <laughs>
0: Is that is that how we're characterizing it? Yeah. I I'll die on that hill. Well, I mean, we could have been in a grade lower each exactly. we were Um, but I I would have lost my mind if I were in if I were in a younger grade, I think.
1: It would have been I fine. W- um I one hundred percent feel I was thinking about this when we were talking. Saying that the theme was going to be authority, I was like substitute teachers, babysitters, <laughs> like people in life who are supposed to have authority over you, but somehow don't. Why mm-hmm. is that?
0: Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, and I did I did a little bit of research on authority because that was a question that came to my mind as well. Like, how do we determine authority? What does authority mean? And I found some helpful like frameworks that mm-hmm. I think we can talk a little bit about. But before we get there, I think we should talk about what happens in the chapter. And I'm so glad that this is your favorite and you're the one who's going to summarize these events for
1: us. It's so long. Mm-hmm. It's a very long chapter. <laughs> I'll, I'll stick to the the salient details and a, just a little bit of color thrown, thrown in there for, for fun. <laughs> so the Travelers, Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, return to the Shire. And they find that the gate is shut. Where did this gate come from? Why is it shut? And there are lots of new rules uh, and just bad changes that have happened in their absence. So they break down the gate. The hobbits who are guarding the gate are aghast that this has happened. Um, Bill Fernie is there. And Merry runs him out of town. And Bill the Pony gives him a little kick in the behind as uh, Bill Fernie scurries away. So that's point one for Bill the Pony. The hobbits, who have remained in the Shire, are really ill at ease. And they describe to the four travelers that there's this new chief. There are a lot of rules. They're upset that Frodo and company are breaking all of these rules. No beer, certain amounts of firewood, etc. The next day frodo and co move on into the shire they're, they're gonna head to bag end and these sheriffs <laughs> try to arrest them sheriffs are like sweet little hobbits with feathers in their hats who are supposed to be some sort of peacekeepers and frodo and his friends just laugh they make the sheriffs go ahead of them on foot while they remain on their ponies And just take their sweet time making their way to Bag End. And it's very funny. Eventually, the sheriffs cannot keep up with the pace that they have set. And so they shake free of them. And Frodo and Co. make it to Bywater. This is where they take on their first true gang of ruffians. These are men who have moved into the shire uh, under the, the chief. And... These men are just not equipped to take on, the book says, quote, fearless hobbits with bright swords and grim faces. They're they're much more used to being bullies. And so the gang of ruffians are run out of town by these four hobbits. Fresh from this victory, Mary convinces Frodo, Pippin, and Sam that what we're going to do now is we're going to raise the Shire up against the ruffians. We're going to fight back. We're going to kick them all out. And he uses the Horn of Gondor to rally them. And the fear, fire, foes cry that you might remember from a chapter we read in book one, A Knife in the Dark. So we now know that this is like the standard cry that the hobbits use. So everyone gathers after hearing this cry, including uh, one of the key players, Farmer Cotton. And Pippin scampers off to Buckland to gather the Tooks, which are his people and have been really fighting back against these ruffians the whole time. So a parcel of ruffians come up the road, maybe like 12 or so of them. They are defeated by the hobbits. And then the Hobbits spend the night catching up on Shire News at Farmer Cotton's house and really just hear about all of the horrible things that have been happening while they were gone. The next morning, there are a hundred ruffians, and this is the famed Battle of Bywater. Uh, Mary's amazing strategic mind and Pippin's bravery is no match for these big men, and the Hobbits are successful. Although, as we chatted a little bit about at the beginning, there is loss of life, both from the ruffians and, sadly, from the hobbits. Fresh from this victory, Frodo and Co. head on up to Bag End to go deal with the chief, and tragically, the party tree has been cut down. Sam cries, I cry. We're all really sad about the party tree. So they make it to Bag End. It's gross. It's dark. It smells bad. Where's Lotho? And then, surprise, they turn around. And standing in the door is Sauruman, who is sharky. And they run him out of town. So Frodo shows mercy and is like, you know, we're all here. There's more of us than you. You have to leave. Saruman is like, yes, we'll go. And then tries to stab Frodo. Frodo shows him mercy again, which just enrages Saruman. He's mean to Wormtongue, and he's like, fine, Worm and I are going to leave. And Wormtongue kind of loses his cool after being bullied by Saruman for so long. Kills Saruman, and as Wormtongue is running away, the hobbits shoot him down. So Wormtongue is dead, Saruman is dead, the fighting is over, and the chapter ends with Sam bemoaning all of the cleanup they're going to have to do now to put the Shire back in order.
0: I really envisioned Saruman's death where they, it's a very grotesque. Yes, (laughs) exactly like that with the little chattering bones. (laughs) Yes, thank you for knowing exactly what I was going to say.
1: So I was right there with you Anna the way he like <laughs> shrivels up and there's like a spirit of him that floats away.
0: Mhm. And just so we're all on the same page, we are talking about the classic 1997 animated film Anastasia yes. with Meg Ryan voicing Anastasia. It is a true gem and a childhood favorite of both Ellen and mine.
1: Yeah, and truly not a negative thing to say about that movie. Absolutely not. It only gets better as you continue watching it. Yes, yeah, it holds up. So yeah, that is how Saruman dies. I also loved that the only trick that the hobbits need to do here is just trap them, and they do that like three times, and it works each time. Mm-hmm, they're like mm-hmm. we'll just come up behind them and close them in surprise and each time the the men are like what and then they lose it is a
0: very lazy group of men who really feel pretty corrupted by their own power and so they're so they're so thoughtless about whether there even could be some sort of you know usurp usurpation usurping that they could overthrow they could be overthrown right that they they basically put no effort right? into maintaining the system of power they're
1: like we're just bigger so we're gonna win right and I'm like haven't you seen space jam obviously not <laughs> another
0: classic <laughs> right yeah who do you think you are the monsters? stars no
1: uh, obviously they they don't know they don't know the narrative right but that's what happens in the chapter. I am happy to dive deeper uh and would love to hear some of your examples so we can relish a bit more in some of the truly delicious revenge we we get to see from, from the team in this one. Right. And authority, also authority.
0: <laughs> and also authority. <laughs> and also too the theme. Yes. So um there were, as you might imagine, endless it seemed, yes, examples truly. of of authority in this chapter so the first is right away in the chapter my page 343 and frodo is really talking about needing to deal with lotho so at this time they really think that kind of lotho is the mastermind behind all of the chaos in the shire and frodo says quote but it is evidently high time that the family dealt with him and put him in his place so here I'm thinking kind of about that relational authority of the family being really the the most appropriate group to check.
1: Right, it's our he's ours, it's our problem.
0: Right, exactly right. And then later on that same page we have at least for me We have Mary talking about Bill Fernie. So, quote, Bill Fernie said, Mary, if you don't open that gate in 10 seconds, you'll regret it. I shall set steel to you if you don't obey. And when you have opened the gates, you will go through them and never return. You are a ruffian and a highway robber. (laughs)
1: Love it.
0: And really... The whole chapter is Mary being the feistiest little shire friend mm-hmm. that there ever was. And I love every moment of it. And we see that again on page 355. I'm going to skip around a little bit. But um, Mary is the one kind of, it feels like leading most of the the hobbits. So quote, others at Mary's orders were setting up barriers across the road at each end of the village. So he's really taking on that that leadership role and taking back his home.
1: Yeah, good for Mary. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think on this because Mary really takes the the role here of authority and chief chief strategist, and Pippin is sort of like the strong man and the one who brings the toques. And I was trying to remember back through. The, the trials that they've been in over the last nine months or so, and what mm-hmm. of their two journeys would really bring them to take on those different roles and coming back? Is it like this is just their personality? Mary's, you know, maybe he's older. He's always been more in charge. Or was there something mm-hmm. in what he learned, you know, what, what they learned in Gondor versus in Rohan that really leads them down this path?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Honestly, what strikes me is that Mary was proximate to true leadership for much longer, right? And he yeah. really had a, a relation to King Theoden, whereas Pippin is really more of kind of a grunt man mm-hmm. for a lot of his, his work in in the White City. So in thinking about that, I feel like their experiences do lend themselves to how they show up in the Shire.
1: Yeah, I think that's... I think that's right. And Théoden was just he was so nice to marry and mm-hmm. probably got a bit more of mentoring and good examples shown to him than Pippin who right was he was struggling a bit out there. Rama Denny.
0: Right. And Pippin is <laughs> Pippin is really kind of left to his own devices mm-hmm. as well. And so I feel like he does lose a little bit of that pairing of strength and Leadership, the strategy of leadership, whereas I would have to imagine that Merry is getting that either directly because, as you say, Theoden is directly mentoring him or he's getting it indirectly as Theoden is giving orders to, you know, the folks around him Mm -hmm. and his thingle, right? Trying to figure out what all they're going to do in supporting Gondor. The Aerolingus. (laughs) That's right. Okay, so... Let's see. (laughs) Coming back to our examples, as you noted, on my page 346, we have our sheriffs who look very silly in asserting their authority. So, quote, sheriffs with staves in their hands and feathers in their caps looking both important and rather scared. (laughs) And I like that quote. But I think... You know, to me, the sheriffs in this regard feel the most like a substitute teacher to yes. harken back to our original, where it's like you have almost no authority, but it's kind of benign absent any real abuse of power, right? Like you're just kind of like, oh, okay, that's
1: cute that you're trying
0: yeah. Um, We're going we're gonna to not listen to you, but thanks and for like trying. Some of them
1: don't really want to be there. Which is also right. <laughs> feels relatable to the substitute teacher thing. Yes.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like,
1: none of us love this setup.
0: <laughs> yeah. Everyone's just a little bit uncomfortable trying to play these roles. So let's just not.
1: <laughs> yeah. We'll just agree to leave each other alone for the time being.
0: <laughs> right. This is basically a free period. Please do your homework. And mm-hmm. if there isn't any arguments, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. The next example that I saw is on my page 351, where Pippin kind of loses it (laughs) in such an excellent way and says, I am a messenger of the king, he said. You are speaking to the king's friend and one of the most renowned in all the lands of the West. You are a ruffian and a fool. And I really liked seeing Pippin step into his own authority here and recognizing, like, yeah, I used to be kind of a goofy goober, but now I I know my own worth. I am associated with actual authority and power. Uh, check yourself before you. Is this yourself. when he
1: snaps in his finger and calls Frodo a cocka whoop? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Pippin's like, "You don't know who you're talking to." Right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one, uh, and it is nice to see Pippin take the mantle now of aragorn. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. I wasn't proud to be serving denethor, but now I'm very proud to have the be a, be a knight of gondor and have the white tree and all of that. We're, we've got a good mm-hmm. leader up
0: there. We've got a good leader. So that brings us to frodo, right, who has quite a few examples of providing some real authority, but there are two that I thought kind of were in nice relation to one another. One on page uh, 352, so Frodo is providing examples of, or really kind of setting a framework probably is better said, of how he wants those who are rising up to take back the Shire, how he thinks that they should interact with the men who have, who have overrun it. So quote, fight, said Frodo, well, I suppose it may come to that. But remember, there is to be no slaying of hobbits, not even if they have gone over to the other side really gone over i mean not just obeying ruffians orders because they are frightened and then he kind of says the same or 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 relays that same idea on page 357 quote all the same said frodo to those who stood near i wish for no killing not even of the ruffians unless it must be done to prevent them from hurting hobbits Mm -hmm. and i feel here that frodo is really he has seen enough violence and experienced enough evil for you know many lifetimes that he's really pretty grounded here in saying, like, yep, we're taking back the Shire, but culturally, um, socially, it's really important that we uphold this idea that no hobbit has ever killed another on Shire grounds and like ever, if not a really, really long time. And we're not about to start it now because that just sets us up for such a crappy way to kind of come back home.
1: Yeah, we're not going to devolve.
0: Right, right. We we can't, we can't cannot let th- this influence change who we are in relation to one another. And I just really appreciated that because I feel like it's a nice complement to the strength and to the strategy that Pippin and Mary are providing.
1: Yeah, I think Frodo's authority in this chapter is much more quiet and perhaps regal Mm -hmm. if we wanted Mm -hmm. to use that word than the authority that the other hobbits are are showing even though he's not the loudest he is still sort of the authority of that of those three Mm -hmm. they have their own strengths and their own things that they're going to play and and come through but all three of them and then the rest of the hobbits by example, really acknowledge Frodo's sort of qu- quiet authority that he's bringing in here.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that is, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later too, but there's just such a nice contrast in that to Saruman's, you know, quote-unquote authority as well mm-hmm. that uh, I want to get us to. But there are a couple of examples between between here and there. So um, on my page 360, <laughs> um, Frodo And Farmer Cotton are talking, and they are um, talking about Lotho, or Pimple, as they call him, which I thought was really funny. So, quote, It all began with Pimple, as we call him, said Farmer Cotton, and it began as soon as you'd gone off, Mr. Frodo. He'd funny ideas, had Pimple. Seems he wanted to own everything himself, and then order other folk about. It soon came out that he already did own a site more than was good for him, and he was always grabbing more. Though where he got the money was a mystery. So again, I think we have this this contrast of um, a power
1: grab mm-hmm. versus like actual
0: consenting authority.
1: It's interesting that he was able to make that just with money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like he didn't have mm-hmm. anything that really made people want to follow him. He was just had the most things and could sort of muscle himself into that role without having Mm -hmm. the the community buy-in. Right.
0: And then the other example that I have before we get to Saruman is on page 365. So they're talking about um, the Battle of the Bywater, the last battle fought in the Shire. Quote, In consequence, though it happily cost very few lives, it has a chapter to itself in the Red Book, and the names of all those who took part were made into a role and learned by heart by Shire historians. And I liked this idea of authority impacting the stories we tell and who contributes to our historical understanding of things. And so it's nice that while the Shire has been so overlooked, it seems like, by the rest of Middle Earth up until this point, there's a much more concerted effort that if there are historians, both internally and externally, they're learning about their stories through the perspective of those who were there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's not something that we always get. So it's nice that the hobbits are getting in here.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then my last example, as previewed, is Frodo to Saruman on my page 369. There's just such an excellent exchange. This is so good. But there are a couple of quotes that kind of stand out. So Saruman's like being a bit of a drama king and saying all kinds of things about, you know, staining the Shire, etc. And Frodo's very calm and responding to him, and both um, saying to the hobbits that, you know, he doesn't have any power here, and then says to Saruman, quote, go Saruman by the speediest way. Saruman is, you know, as you noted, sort of still belittling worm tongue. And Sam, after Saruman attempts to stab Frodo, is really upset and flies towards Saruman and Frodo against us. No, Sam said. Frodo, do not kill him even now, for he has not hurt me, and in any case, I do not wish him to be slain in this evil mood. He was great once, of a noble kind that we should not dare to raise our hands against. He has fallen, and his cure is beyond us. But I would still spare him in the hope that he may find it. And Saruman just recognizes this and is both in rage and maybe a little bit fearful mm-hmm. that. Frodo is both, as he says, wise and cruel. And then he extends that same mercy to Wormtongue, and Wormtongue is just He's he's had too much trauma and too little healing for him to be able to accept that kind of goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a nice, it's a nice juxtaposition again of Frodo's authority, true authority, consenting authority from his community, and Saruman's real just gross power grab.
1: And I wonder if Wormtongue had heard that offer without Saruman being there. Mm-hmm. If he would have taken it. I don't know. He's, like, too under the spell that Saruman has put on him.
0: Yeah, we... I think Wormtongue... I think it is succinct to say that Wormtongue accepts the treatment he thinks he deserves. And if you make or elect that kind of relationship enough times, it would take someone much smarter and much more skillful than I to bring someone back to being able to see and recognize and accept mercy, right? Because that that kind of goes against all that you've accepted up until a point, and there would be
1: cognitive dissonance, I have to imagine, in doing that. So you brought up that Saruman says that Frodo is cruel. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wonder what you think of that because, in one sense, I do think it might be kinder to just kill Saruman. If that's crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but in Saruman's mind, I feel like it's it would he would prefer to go out with like a righteous death in his mind than have to wander mm-hmm. and like be under the the mercy and the forgiveness that Frodo offered him.
0: Hmm and you really see him kind of spiral right yeah. in response to that where it's it's such a tantrum i hate it and you well i'll go and i'll trouble you no more and you're like yeah go
1: <laughs> please just leave
0: just i don't i have no energy to expend on you yeah. just depart and live your life this is this is what is your choice right like Get out. It's like what
1: Galadriel said, like, we, we have more important things to do right now than deal with you.
0: Just a very solid dressing down on so many fronts, right? And it, it I'm sure to Saruman, it does feel cruel to have these beings that he, I think, just thinks so little of mm-hmm. to rise up, to take back what's theirs, and to do it in a way that is good and fair and merciful is just such an affront to his person but it's like,
1: dude, you just you're so evil (laughs) you're so mean-spirited Like, yeah, it's like he's trying to pick a fight with them and they won't rise to the bait right, yeah,
0: find a hobby take up knitting, like you have a lot of really aggressive energy that could be productive, you know, helpful uh, otherwise,
1: at least not destructive,
0: right (laughs) My recommendation would be bread making. There's a lot of real value in kneading that bread. Yeah,
1: that's a great idea.
0: (laughs) So if ever asked, that's what I would recommend for Saruman's hobby. those are my examples again that the chapter was basically one large uh side-by-side comparison of what it looks like to have i think consenting community buy-in to someone who is authoritative and who can recognize the sort of nuance of being in community with that kind of authority mm-hmm. versus a basically a coup <laughs> <laughs> which is just about power and maybe not at all about authority yeah
1: Yes, oh, that's a good line that you've drawn.
0: I did lots of reading on this topic, but, um, I think we can talk about that more on the action item.
1: Well, I really enjoyed the examples that you brought through. So many of those were favorite parts of the chapter because we get to see the hobbits do a little little gentle revenge um on mm-hmm. on people who really deserved it after all of the chaos and Despair that they brought to these kind, hard-working hobbits while they'd been gone. Absolutely. Should we transition then to our talking with Tolkien? Yes, let's. Okay. I had two notable quotes to bring. mm-hmm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My first is on page 307. And this is when the head sheriff is telling Pippin that you're breaking arrest, and I won't be answerable for what happens when you do this. And Pippin responds, we shall break a good many things yet and not ask you to answer, said Pippin. Good luck to you. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a good little set down from Pippin. Like, oh, just wait till you see what we get up to next.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that part, too.
1: And then my other one was, which I left out of the um, the recap, but Sam gets to talk to Rosie again, which is very exciting mm-hmm. for him. And <laughs> when he goes to visit with Rosie while all the ruffians are coming up, and she says, well, be off with you. If you've been looking after Mr. Frodo all this while... What do you want to leave him for as soon as things look dangerous? This was too much for Sam. <laughs> it needed a week's answer or none. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's on my page 312, and I love the. it, it I just, it, I need a week to answer this, or I cannot engage with what you've just said to me. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: is very relatable. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so he chooses none, and he runs off and goes to help Mr. Frodo, and all is well.
0: Mm-hmm. I also, like, I feel like there's kind of a an understanding between Mary, Pippin, Frodo, and Sam about Sam being like, oh, I'll, I'll go see Farmer Cotton. Um, uh uh-huh. And they're all like, uh-huh, sure, because he's been such a stout friend,
1: and it has nothing to do with his cute little daughter. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, when Cotton's like, Sam's asking, well, what about Rosie and Mrs. Cotton? And he's like, they're inside. You can go check on them if you want. And basically, yeah. like, gives a little <laughs> little wink. And I love that Rosie's like, I have been waiting for you here since the spring. You really didn't hurry back, did you? <laughs> right. Perhaps not, said Sam, abashed. But I'm hurrying oh. now. It's just such a nice, <laughs> That's very sweet, awkward, cute little moment. Yeah. We love them. We love Rosie and Sam. Um, Those are my quotes. Which quotes did you bring? Well, I also had the quote about
0: Pippin dressing down the lead sheriff, (laughs) so I'm glad that you brought that up because it's hilarious. And then on my page 353, I really enjoyed the conversation with Tom Cotton um, and, and Mary and kind of all of that. But Mary in particular has this quote, quote, but shire folk have been... So comfortable, so long, they don't know what to do. They just want a match, though, and they'll go up and fire. Mm, mm-hmm. And I I really liked that. And also, I think a notable mention would be Tom Cotton being like, I've been itching for a fight, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was truly just hilarious. Was like, I've
1: been waiting for this for a year. Let's go. Let's go, <laughs>
0: which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think as we talked about, the description of saruman's death so on my page page 370 it's just such a good little it's such a good little description and again it really hearkened back to my view of anastasia but quote to the dismay of those that stood by about the body of saruman a gray mist gathered and rising slowly to a great height like smoke from a fire as a pale shrouded figure it loomed over the hill for a moment it wavered, looking to the west, but out of the west came a cold wind, and it bent away and with a sigh dissolved into nothing. And then it, it goes on to be a bit more grotesque, but I just, I really like this description. I thought it was such an, a fitting end mm-hmm. for such an unhappy man.
1: With a sigh devolved into nothing. Right. That's right. And I, I agree. I feel like that was a fitting end to, he just was so mean at the end and for Mm -hmm. somehow that's worse than like the actual evil of sauron it's like how sometimes i think umbridge is worse than Voldemort. it's like that small Mm -hmm. petty meanness maybe it's because it's Mm -hmm. something that you experience more in the day-to-day and it just really you know picks at you but i'm like you didn't you didn't have to do any of this no Mm -hmm. gain
0: right when well, it feels much more i think in both of those situations it feels much more intimate yeah. like the evil is just this loom large across the world and, and it feels a little hard to sometimes get our arms around that but that spite that happens person to person mm-hmm. right just feels so much more like you are doing this because you don't like me not because you want to like subjugate a world right. <laughs> But because you are trying to undermine my comfort, and I am offended, and I am affronted by mm. this, good sir.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's such a joy to f- truly finally be done with the fighting in this book. It's over. Mm-hmm. How sad that I ended literally at Frodo's doorstep, but somehow also fitting. Well, shall we now then go to the action item that you have brought for us today to, to finish up this episode?
0: Yes. So I was doing a bunch of reading about authority because I was really interested in this concept. And I had come across uh, some information, some a theory, basically by Max Weber, who is a sociologist, and kind of thinking about the three kinds of... Authority. So one being like a, a legislative authority, one being a charismatic authority, and one being a hi- hierarchical authority. And I was really intrigued by this concept. But I came across another paper that talks about group held values as legitimate domination, a critique of Weber's typology of authority in an intentional community, which is a long title. But there are just some really interesting ideas in this paper about what it means to be in a like relational community and what might authority look like in that space that really isn't captured well in that original sort of three. And in this paper, the, the author describes authority as authority which resides in the collective as a whole rather than a few at the top of a hierarchy rules are minimal and enforced as norms based on group values rather than formal prohibitions and it kind of works through some of these other elements of of authority. So as I thought about that, I was thinking about how we characterize or evaluate authority figures in our community. And again to come back to that idea of is it positional authority? In the way that a substitute teacher might technically have been imbued with authority Mm -hmm. by a school district, but isn't elected or chosen by the class versus what we see in this chapter with Mary and Pippin and Frodo and Sam all exerting an authority in community in a nuanced way. And the community is consenting to that. So I want us to, it's a, it's a thinking action item, but I want us to like reframe when we are characterizing something as authority to be um, really clear-eyed about whether it, they are an authority because they have been imbued with power or whether because the community is consenting to it. And I think then if we can do those things, we can also start to allocate resources and that might look like time that might look like energy that might look like money that might look like a lot of things to those authority figures who are from and of the community and we can start to to be purposeful in who we have lead us or who we allow to
1: have authority so basically you're you're asking us to be more aware of who has authority structurally in communities mm-hmm and if it's not aligning with that community's values looking at who who would who is actually being chosen by the community as an authority figure right exactly this is making me think of i mean most things make me think of harry potter but <laughs> <laughs> with very little prompting i thought about harry potter <laughs> but this is making me think of harry potter there are so many instances in that series mm-hmm. of leadership and authority not overlapping mm-hmm. where like the the leader that is coming up from the community and who is being chosen by the community is not actually somebody who has authority as bestowed by whatever institution right and that kind of push and pull there reminds me of of what you're you're speaking of here and how to how to just be more aware of that Mm-hmm. i think Another
0: good example, too, would be when we think about the the Shire, the Battle of Bywater going into the Red mm-hmm. Book, right? And thinking about our own history. Like, are we learning that history from an organizational authority, like a textbook? Or are we learning it from, like, a primary source of someone who was there who might be more of, again, someone who has authority within the community?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one is definitely more of an egalitarian way than I think mm-hmm. a lot of the society we live in right now is normally set up. Right.
0: And it was a real um it was a real experience to kind of dive deep into some of these understandings. I was deep 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 into Google Scholar. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about trying to unpack authority and why sometimes it feels it's an external choice, and sometimes it feels like an internal mm-hmm. choice. And what does it mean to kind of al- align those two things more
1: intentionally? Yeah, I only supported the authority that I agreed with.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we definitely were those kids
1: for sure. Sorry, everybody.
0: <laughs> I am the authority.
1: <laughs> it's me. It's me. You, you have, have no, no power, power here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cast aside yeah that uh, that hits close exactly. to home so thank you for <laughs> for for bringing that that up. that's definitely a very thoughtful way for us to to end the episode and I I am left with a lot of things that I want to think more on as a as a result. Well good deal thanks for helping me kind of crystallize that thought because like I said
0: I was there were a lot of disparate things that I wanted to bring together and you really helped me kind of,
1: put it cohesively I'm here for (laughs) you all right one more chapter left that's right crazy it's so weird it's crazy I can I it's hard to wrap my my brain around the fact especially because when you physically hold the book there are just so many pages left (laughs) I'm like oh yes the appendix (laughs) yeah The classic
0: appendix, where we get just an unbelievable yeah. amount of information. I also have like a full index mm-hmm. of poems, mm-hmm. songs, mm-hmm. beasts, names, Some family trees, etc.
1: possibly, possibly places. We have a few drawn out in my book, so you can visually track everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. a lot. It's in a case lot of information. You
1: Well, we have some stuff to look into before our next episode, but thank you for having uh, a wonderful discussion with me on my favorite chapter.
0: Always a pleasure. Today's podcast was brought to you by Sharku. You keep using that name, and I do not think it means what you think it means. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in Fellowship. Oh, man. I have a timeline in the back of this book, Ellen. Well, that is very helpful. (laughs) That's hilarious. And here I've been bemoaning the fact that I don't know when anything is happening, and it's been right under my nose the whole time.
1: Who knew?
0: Wow, what a treat. What a treat to learn this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, I also have that timeline. (laughs) (laughs) Appendix B. Uh yeah, she's she's Very back there helpful. and she is helpful. Very helpful, okay. <laughs> 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 um.